The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Why did he use that word? God goes to extreme measures to bring the loss to himself. The greatest gift you will ever give this world is your intimacy with God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three inside of me. I've got the power right now. I think what Jesus really wants is people to go. I want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer request. Welcome to the Fuel for the Harvest podcast. When this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Hey everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. This is Nathan. And this is Charlie. We'll be your host for today. And today we want to dig into the question, what did Jesus mean when he said, the harvest is plentiful in Matthew chapter 9? And uh, joining us today to discuss this is Dwight Robertson. Uh, God really gave him a vision that specifically relates to this verse. Uh, God burdened uh, Dwight's heart with laborers when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few uh, in 1986, which led to the founding of the ministry of Forge. So Dwight, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Great to be here. I'm excited about our topic for today. Hey, I'm excited too. And uh, uh, I would love just to dive in and ask you that question. And Nathan and I will kind of input along the way, but uh, God burdened this on your heart some years ago. So what what comes to your mind? What did Jesus mean when he said the harvest is plentiful? Yeah, well, the the, the burden transmittance um, from heaven to to me was an ominous experience because I didn't see it coming, and and the weight of it was enormous. Mm-hmm. And the burden's not mine; it, it is mine to co-labor with Christ and carry. That's clear for all of us. But the burden was the burden Jesus felt. There's only one time uh, in Scripture where we see him using the aorist imperative verb tense, uh, and it is in Matthew 9. And this comes after he's toured the the surrounding cities and villages, landscape. I mean, he's seen humanity at its need and then says the harvest is plentiful. Uh, and, And he... He was engaging what he was seeing. We have scriptural accounts of all the different types of ways that Jesus engaged. And and it wasn't by showing up in the synagogues in those places. He showed up where the people were. And everywhere he showed up, whether it was their seasides, their meal tables, um, the the streets, uh, the marketplace, everywhere he showed up, uh, he was seeing the same thing. Stopped, took it into account, spent time thinking about what is needed and then he bursts out into this in aorist imperative verb tense make this happen he said the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few i mean i got a shirt on that says labor that's who we are uh one of our forge ambassadors made up some shirts and and sent from the other part of the world and and i wear this with great pride because i get to work my boss is the one who had the burden on that day who's the one who said the harvest is plentiful so I don't have to wonder, like, wonder if there's anything to do. There's always, every day, everywhere, something to do. Um, because that was the thing that he made clear to them. He looked at them, and and he realized that they probably looked around and said, man, there's 12 of us. You know, that's, that's you know, in, in some regards, that's a big number, uh, but a small number compared to what Jesus saw. So he turned to those 12 and said, there's got to be a, a multiplying movement. You're going to have to pray 
to the Lord of the harvest that more than just the 12 of you, but you think about those 12. Oh my word. I mean, he's talking to Matthew. I was reading Matthew this morning, thousands of years later. I mean, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that it's just, you know, one. There's Matthew. He's just one. Jesus sat at his meal table. <laughs> he's, you know, traveled around. He, he, he sees Matthew at his workplace. He stops with Matthew at his workplace. Matthew's doing his daily thing. He's collecting taxes. And Jesus, the next thing you know, Jesus spends time with Matthew at his meal table. And while he sits there with them around the table are others, and Jesus is focused on what can happen at a meal table when we spend time with people. And that was the thing that Jesus always understood. It's, it's, if you were to read my Bible, you would see the word one all over the place in my Bible. I am always looking at where Jesus would see one life and focus on that one life because it was never just one. It was never just one. He knew that, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a, a domino right now that's got one on one. Jesus taught me that method. He taught me that it's never just one. So yes, he's looking at a powerhouse team. He knows that Thomas is going to go to India. He knows, you know, Peter's going to do this. He's going to build a movement. You know, he's going to be the head of a, a, a proliferating Jerusalem. I mean, there's 12, but he's saying that's not enough. There need to be more kingdom laborers. So, so he looks at them and said, this, the way it's going to happen is you pray to the Lord of the harvest. You know, your prayer is what moves the, the muscle of divine omnipotence. So, so he, the arm of the Lord is going to tap, touch, start nudging. Some people who are listening to us today are people he's got in mind for where there's harvest that's plentiful. He told them it's plentiful for a reason. Because he wasn't describing, he didn't show up in synagogues. That was only about 22%, according to the, the infographic Bible, only 22% of the time did he show up in a building. He showed up where he was seeing everywhere he went, there was a plentiful harvest field. And so he was commissioning people who were mainstream people. You need to understand there's going to need to, it's going to take more than you because it's that plentiful. He eventually sends out 70 or 72, depending on the version you read in the scriptures, but but a lot more than 12. They're still not going to be enough because the harvest is that plentiful if we understand. 78% of the places Jesus was engaging, I mean, connecting with people in their everyday world was, was where the rest of us are. The, the plentiful harvest field is everywhere it's worldwide and it's everywhere and we've we've sort of we've we've bottlenecked where where the harvest is mm. and how to harvest and with whom to harvest so the word plentiful was a description of he'd already done a tour and that tour engaged every every type of facet of society every arena of society and he was saying there's harvest there's harvest there so you know he must it must have been almost dizzying because he's the word in flesh and he's feeling like I, I, I'm, I'm trapped in this one singular body. I can only, my feet can only get so many places. There are going to have to be more people housing the good news so that everywhere their feet go, the good news gets there. So he's got a master plan for this plentiful harvest. And the, the plentiful thing that we're talking about today is the recognition of, of there was a, you know, I'm the old guy on the call. So I'll tell you, there was a there was a famous song. That, and, and there are still people who who love to listen to the song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. 
Jesus recognized that the need of the hour, there's so many anxious people, the noise is, is enormous these days, but the need remains the same in the human heart. Mm. They're in need of the love of God. They're in need of the grace of God. They're in need of the kindness of God, the presence of God. So when somebody steps up near that weighty need that people carry, I don't care, all walks of life, rich, poor, young, old, there are people who need love, the love of God, represented by the cross of Christ, but represented by the, the life he lived to show us how to have a relationship with God the Father. So I know this is dialogue, but I, I, my heart is just full of joy yeah. that Jesus didn't use a word, that he didn't first get out there and look around, and he went, no, it's everywhere. He's engaging cross-gender, cross-ethnic lines. He's Cross age lines, all kinds of arenas you see him. 78% of the places he showed up were not synagogue buildings. Mm -hmm. So he's telling us there's a plentiful harvest field everywhere. Mm, it's true. There's a uh, there's baffling statistics on this, like just incredibly crazy. Uh I recent numbers suggest that uh there are about 2.2 billion Christians on planet Earth today. Um, that means there's 5 point, uh, 7.8 billion uh, total people, so 5.6 billion people on planet Earth today who don't know Jesus or don't claim to follow him. So that's an enormous harvest field. Uh, of that 5.6 billion people, 3.28 billion of them, if they woke up today, would have zero access to Jesus. Uh, there's no Bible in their language, no pastor working with them, no missionary. Oh, and if there is a Bible in their language, they have limited access to it. If there is a missionary working with them, there's one missionary for like 30,000 people. Like the, the, the odds of them hearing about Jesus are incredibly low. And uh, I, it feels incredibly overwhelming. Uh, when you look at that number, 3.28 billion, it's, we don't think in terms of billions very often. It's hard to grasp. But if I was, or if anyone, if any of the three of us were to try to preach to 10,000 of them per week, it wouldn't take just one lifetime or two or three, just to preach to, one, to each of those people one time at 10,000 a week, it would take us 100 lifetimes, 6,300 years, just to preach to each of them one time. And I can guarantee you, I'm not preaching to 10,000 a week. It, 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 the numbers are over, just overwhelming. Like, like what can possibly be done yeah. to to meet the needs of the world? And I think that Dwight, exactly what you're saying. I mean, Jesus came up with the solution two thousand years ago. He said, "It's not just one person's job; it's all of our job. We we have to work together. And when mm -hmm. we work together, the numbers." slowly but surely change. And we go from not reaching the entire world for 6,300 years to, a, we can we can talk more about this math later potentially, but if you just, even just one life at a time, if you train that one life to impact another life, you can reach the entire population of planet Earth in just 34 spiritual generations. Be that 34 months at one life at a time or 34 years at one life at a time, but just one life at a time, you can reach the entire world because each time it doubles and doubles and doubles and doubles. Nathan, what you just shared uh, took me back to 
uh, the early 1980s, I visited the U.S. Center for World Missions. And I was reading books and going to conferences on the unreached. And I got to be honest, I felt enormously overwhelmed by the, the massivity of how many people still didn't know Jesus. And then my heart was hot, but I had one life to live. And I, my grandmother had on her wall, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But, you know, like when you said 100 lifetimes, I'm just thinking, God. And then I had read this book called Master Plan of Evangelism. And I realized the master, Jesus, had a plan. And his plan was the, the plan for us to work as laborers, as, as laborers. We worked the plan. And then I got eyes fixed on Jesus and recognized he focused on one life at a time. He didn't seem rushed or in a hurry. He focused on the life that was in front of him, recognizing that life, like, like the woman of her non-bottled spring water sitting there, you know, he's having a conversation over a beverage, over water. But, but actually, I mean, it looks like one, but it's never just one. She's going to run back to her whole village and a whole new group of people are going to learn. So, so this morning, my mind raced back to a little lady that, that people tell me she probably never left her little rural address, even her county. She probably never had a car ride outside her little county in western Pennsylvania. There was a little boy in her church. I was that boy sitting, uh, having a hard time sitting still, didn't love going to church, um, didn't love Jesus. I just, it was torture to have to go sit still. Can you tell I'm full of energy? Sit still and be quiet. I mean, that was, that was like a sentence that, that was difficult. I dreaded going to church because I knew I had to sit still and be quiet. Uh, but this little lady, others would look at me sternly whenever I'd move around or make a, a, but I'd see her almost toward the back and she'd smile at me and she'd smile again. And then eventually, you know, I write about it in the book, uh, Your God's Plan A. She she befriended my mother and she started bringing peanut butter sandwiches and peanut butter treats. And the next thing I knew, I couldn't wait to get to church. I called her the peanut butter lady and she sweetened, she sweetened the kingdom of God for me. She was focused on one little boy, wriggly little boy who that was, it, it didn't look like a, it was one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, she was a difference maker in my life. Hmm. I've been around the world, probably a hundred countries. Proclaiming the gospel, Plana hasn't been out of her county. I mean, she's in heaven today. And I think when she walked in, she got this big, whoa, you know, she probably was surprised. Like, what is this about? And, and, and they're telling her, well, there was this one mm -hmm. little boy you befriended. And honestly, the scriptures are full of validation that if you want your life to make an impact, you follow Jesus' model and you focus on the one life that's in front of you. And you trust something in business circles called exponential growth, compounding interest. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, something, uh, there was a time when my eyes were opened drastically uh, to the plentiful harvest. Um, and we see it in every facet and sphere of society worldwide. Great, great, great need. Uh, I remember being on a bus in North Korea, this communist nation, this atheistic nation with few believers, if none, um, few laborers, if none, and they are increasing there. But I remember being on this bus, driving from place to place, looking at the faces of the people, 
one after the other. They were full of fear, full of anger, full of hopelessness. Uh, nobody looked happy, not one. And I felt this gut-wrenching burden, almost sick to my stomach, like, Lord, who, who's going to go here? Who's going to reach these people? Um, and immediately my mind, God brought to mind this Matthew 9 passage, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest earnestly, fervently to, pray, to send laborers into his harvest fields. And I began to pray, Lord, would you do that here? Would you do it in a place like this? And uh, of course, that's a plentiful harvest field. There are harvest fields where not only the laborers are few, but none to mm. this day. And we pray that God would send them there. Uh, but what is this harvest? What is this that's plentiful? Um, I think Jesus clearly lays it out. Going back to Matthew 9, it's it's written right there. He's going from place to place. He's seeing people who are diseased. He's seeing people who are sick. He's seeing people who are in need. And then it, it says this. It says, when he saw all these people, he had compassion on them because they were dis di distressed and dejected. Like sheep without a, a shepherd. Distressed and dejected. Or some translations say harassed and hopeless. Uh, that's not just in places like that, although it is worldwide. It's also, it might be our neighbors. It might be somebody we meet in a restaurant at a coffee shop, the barista. I think if we were to open our eyes, like when Jesus looked at his disciples in the book of John, he said, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. They're ready. Like just, just slow down for a second and open your eyes to see what's going on around you, to see the people. Um, there is desperate need everywhere. How many people, if we opened our eyes, would we see in our life that actually felt hopeless? Hmm. Uh, stats tell us that anxiety and depression are at all-time highs right now in America. How many people, if we opened our eyes, would feel like they don't have any direction? There's no shepherd leading them. Uh, they feel purposeless. And uh, I think that we would say many. So when I hear the harvest is plentiful, I think about all these people who are in great desperate need. Hmm. Um who need purpose, who need joy, who need satisfaction, who need to feel loved. And we know where that's found <laughs> only in Christ. And uh, obviously it gets to, well, the only way that's fulfilled is through laborers, ordinary people who will meet these people at their point of need, um, who feel purposeless, who feel hopeless, who feel harassed. And uh, it's everywhere we go. It's true. I was uh, I was I, I have a similar experience, Charlie and Dwight. Uh, I I remember I was sitting in an airport, um, and I had a eight hour layover from uh, like seven p.m. to like three in the morning or something like that. I can't remember. And uh, I I was sitting there and just watching. I like to watch people, um, and I'm just watching all these people cross in front of me, hundreds and hundreds, in the main hallway of this of this massive international airport, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people walking in front of me every hour. And uh, at first I'm just watching and then slowly but surely, like the Lord begins to burden me. And I, I'm, I'm looking at these people realizing the places in the world they're coming from, they may have never heard the good news of Jesus before. And I became incredibly overwhelmed thinking, I don't speak their language. I don't know their, I don't know where they're coming from. I, I don't live next to that. Like, what could possibly be done in order for for someone like me to have an impact on on all of the like i can't possibly do it alone i i was completely overwhelmed by the sheer massive need of all the people around us and i think there's a lot of people 
who have a heart for Jesus and a heart for the people who don't know Jesus, and they look out on all of the of, of the needs around them and they think it's just not like what can possibly be done. Uh, like I, I'm feeling that degree of hopelessness about our nation right now. Like I'm looking at the United States and I'm wondering, is there any hope for us? Like, will, will we ever turn our faces back to Jesus uh, as, as, a, as a culture, as a whole? Um, and I, I feel overwhelmed. And uh, I think that that's similar to that gut-wrenching need that Jesus was feeling in Matthew 9, looking at all of the needs. I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus had a common denominator with us. Mm -hmm. He's, he's God-man, and he is limited by one physical body. And so that is a limitation that we feel when we see the massivity, the, the large, vast, plenty, plentiful harvest. We feel the disparity between, I'm, I'm only one. Um, but, but God's the multiplier. He's the multiplier, and he knows who to get your feet near. The incredible thing to me with Jesus knowing that common denominator of a physical body, he's got that challenge that we face as he's engaging, as he traveled about. That's why he wanted there to be more. But, but we need to keep in mind that there was, there was a method in terms of his method of engaging and modeling and demonstrating for others to learn from. And that was that Acts 10.38 says he went about doing good. Um, Charlie, you, you love licorice. I know that. So you probably recognize an image called good and plenty. It's a licorice candy. Um, I don't know if it's sold worldwide, but it's sold definitely in the United States. And there's that word plenty. Um, and we know scripture tells us God is good. I was always mesmerized when I would first read the scriptures. Why did people so quickly follow him? Why did crowds amass around him? It is because every human feels the weight and of a vacuum inside themselves for everything that was embodied in him and is embodied in us by Christ in us, the hope of glory. He walked about, he was, God is good. He walked about with goodness. He walked about with all the fruit of the spirit, love, joy. The world needs love, joy. Everybody needs a smile. Patience. Everybody needs a little more patience from those around them. Goodness, you know, all these fruits of the Spirit were, were an attraction for people to go near Him. And that's why we can't be affected by this dark world and this intense world and this world that, that wants to take us off course in terms of being, not just doing, but being the people of Jesus. And Jesus promised the blessed Holy Spirit. He promised his disciples, you're going to, you know, in Romans 5, 5 says the love of God's poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. So every bus we get on, every street we walk, every building, restaurant, coffee shop we walk into, there are people who need all the fruit of the Spirit. They need the love of God. They need the joy. They need smile. There, there's a way we don't seem to understand that when it says in Acts 10, 38, he went about doing good. He was bringing this reminder that, yes, life is hard. There's a song that says, life is hard, but God is good. This good and plenty, he was walking about. And he promised, you know, goodness and mercy, he was going to be with us always to the ends of the earth. So 
So when we walk about, we're delivery agents. We're delivering the fruit of the spirit that people are without in this dark, crazy, difficult world where life is hard, but God is good. We're to be the good engaging the plentiful. And the plentiful are the people that Satan has just covered over their lives with disparity and uh, depression and darkness and sadness and, and, you know, all the things that Satan does. Everybody around us, it's not hard to see that he's been plentiful in his effect. So this harvest that's plentiful are people who need the light. No wonder Jesus said, let your light shine before men. So they'll see your good deeds. Don't underestimate. Some people listening to us think, well, I'm not a very good talker. Then be a great lover, a great joy spreader. Be a, bring the fruit of the Spirit and people will be drawn to you as they were drawn to Jesus. And near you is where Christ is housed. So when you're one-on-one -on -one with people, when you're up close to people, just trust that the master's plan can be and will be lived out and compounding interest is going to happen from your life. Uh, it's it's just amazing to me how much instruction he gave us on how to engage what he described as plentiful by example. Hmm. Amen. And uh, I, I think that in, if I was to look back on everything you've said, Dwight, uh, the thing that's re just really standing out to me is that the more we open our eyes to the fact that real ministry happens in all of the ordinary everyday places of our life, the more we realize how plentiful the harvest really is. We can look around at church and say, you know, in our church building and say, oh, there's there's not very many people here who need me. But you go to, our, you know, the restaurant after church or you go to work or you go to school or whatever. And as you open your eyes to all of the needs around you there, it really is true that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And the feeling can be it's overwhelming, like I can't do this. But I think that really it just means there's a lot of opportunity. <laughs> like it just what it what it really means, if you think of it in a positive sense, is it's like at a one of those old timey fairs and they have that whole wall of balloons and you just have to throw one dart and you can hit a balloon and win a prize. Not to say that we're winning a prize or anything, but just to say like you throw a dart and you'll find somebody who is in desperate need of Jesus and you can have a real impact on their life just by what you're saying, allowing the spirit of God inside of you to get up close to them. It's a hundred percent true. I, I, I can't get over as as I move about not as a preacher, as I move about as a creature of God, um, who's filled with Jesus, and I get to walk in the Spirit. When when I, I was reading this morning in my devotions, where Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commands," um, and and uh, and then He helps them understand that He's going to live with us and He's going to be in us in that very same passage. Um, but but the commands to 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 love um, and and to to live uh, I I believe that there's a I, I love the the book Purpose Driven Life but there's a book that I I I didn't write but I've, I've compiled a few books that are similar called Presence Driven Life and I think a presence driven life has powerful impact on where the needs are plentiful because they're in need 
of more of him, more of his will, more of his glory manifested through our lives, not us in contrived ways trying to be something, but the fruit of the spirit being present to where if they prick us, you know, they get something different than just what they're used to getting, a retaliatory, angry response. There's there's something of his his embodiment within us of his spirit that he promised to be with us and in us. They get Jesus. And and um, I think the plentiful, the darkness that we engage, you, know, you can't walk in this world, you can't breathe, move in this world and not engage. People who who are apart from God, and that's that's what is plentiful. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful because his goal was to be the way to the Father. He was he was wanting to get them connected with all the goods, all the blessings from God who so loved the world. So when we walk about doing good as, as he did, uh, Acts 10, 38, um, we have opportunity every day. It could be an act of kindness. We underestimate, We I think Nathan and Charlie, there are people even listening to us right now that think spiritual decisions are made in buildings or in mass events because they've seen that. But but statistically, the books that I've read, when they really have done surveys, many people trace it was actually a grandparent, it was a neighbor, it was a coworker that validated because they were up close enough to see and feel, sniff the aroma of Christ, feel the fruit of the spirit, that it was authentic, it was real. And that was for many people who are asked in surveys, that's a deciding factor. And then the domino ripple impact is a person's life that we're engaging. We don't know how far that impact or influence may eventually go over time in multiplied impact over a lifespan. May that be the case. May all of us say we're in for God to open our eyes for the harvest needs that are plentiful everywhere. And uh, so for those of you listening, I would encourage you, say, Lord, help me to open my eyes. Jesus is the one who said, open your eyes. So pray and ask him, Jesus, will you open my eyes? Will you help me to see? And then as a result, just pray each day and look, Lord, is there an opportunity here? Is there a person here? Is there a need here? And I believe that the spirit of God will prompt us. We'll see someone and we'll notice it looked like they had a hard time. Maybe I should step in. Or we'll we'll notice, hey, maybe I could ask that person a question and God could open up a door everywhere, wherever our feet take us. So I would encourage us, hey, what do we do with this? I think that's exactly what we do. We allow God to open up our eyes to see the the physical and spiritual needs of people everywhere we go. And and I want anybody listening to know that sometimes you won't see the fruit of your labor, but trust in the master's plan and just live it out. I'm old enough to be able to tell you I've gotten to see over time what can be the results of long obedience in the same direction. I've, I've recently been interacting with someone who was in my life literally 53 years ago when I had first come into a relationship with Jesus. It took 53 years. I prayed for that person 53 years ago, sowed seeds into that person 53 years ago. I'm just now starting to see from 53 years ago, a classmate I was in school with um, who, who looked me up on the internet, 
and and would never have found me if if another classmate hadn't said you're spelling his name wrong. Uh, and, you know, for some odd reason, my name gets spelled a million ways. Uh, you can't imagine. I could show you spellings. You'd go, how in the world? Uh, so um, whether it's my first or last name. So he, he couldn't find me. But eventually he's found me this year. And now we were having the, we're having the conversations that I, I did all of the sewing and all of the prayer watering, everything I could do 53 years ago. And now we're having these epic conversations. So I want to encourage people that sometimes following Jesus' example, it's long obedience in the same direction and trusting him for the results. Some people go to their grave, they take their last earthly breath without knowing the impact of their life. My parents, I just passed them a book uh, on the life of Samuel Morris. Um, Samuel died in his young 20s and everybody was confused by how did this incredibly bright light for Jesus, African, African young man who came to the United States and had a true impact on our nation and an impact that's still going on all these decades and decades later, my parents read this book and wept and wept and wept in their 90s, being deeply impacted by somebody who hasn't been taking earthly breath for decades. But he so lived the light of Jesus. He so lived in the presence of Jesus. He so exuded the fruit of the Spirit that he has, it, there are books written about him and people's lives impacted. You have to trust the one who you are his labor. He's your boss. You live in the light of his presence every day and you trust him with the results. You love, you grace, never underestimate an act of kindness. Jesus said they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify your father. They'll eventually figure out this isn't humanity. This isn't humanism. This isn't man's best effort. They'll recognize what they just tasted and saw was the Lord. Taste and see the Lord is good. The Lord is good. They tasted your good deeds and they glorify Jesus promised this, your father in heaven. So I think that's that's such a word, Charlie, for for anybody listening who is doing long obedience in the same direction. And it feels like they're not seeing fruit. Trust the master and his plan. Uh, it was a long time before some things came to fruition that he was sowing into while his feet were on yes. earth. Amen. I would say the fruit is there. You just might not see it. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of being a domino, uh, you you might not see the three dominoes yeah. in front of you or the six dominoes behind you, but if you're just willing to play the role that God has made for you, uh, you never know uh, how God will bring that to good. Or sometimes you do know, which that's yeah. Even it's it's so encouraging when you do know. But I agree, we can become so discouraged, saying there's no fruit, there's no impact. I don't see it, and that's why I say be encouraged. I think in the spiritual realm, which is often unseen, the impact and the fruit is there. You just might never see it in your sight line. Amen. Well, Dwight, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's always an incredible joy for me and Charlie, and I know it's also an incredible joy for everybody listening as well, just to hear from you, um, to hear your heart for God and your heart for the lost. Uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, definitely go to forgeforward.org, um, and, and they will find more than me 
uh, they will find all kinds of resources, but I can definitely be found there. That's a great way for us to, to be able to connect. Every, every means of connection I have really kind of comes through that, that portal. Um, I, I, I once was one, but now we are many. And we, we, I would love for people to find me that way because they might find that there's ministry coming right to their country or their neighborhood or their state. Um, because if they wander around, there's all kinds of, of, of good and plentiful things for them there. Uh, so yeah, that'd be a great way. And, and I want to, as a final encouragement, I just want every listener to know that, that every day, everywhere, what's plentiful are opportunities for you to advance the purposes, the plans of God, the love of God, the grace of God every day. That might be through your prayer life, if you're confined to a chair. That, that might be uh, through texts or notes or messages. But what's plentiful is that this world is full of humans who have yet to know what those who are listening to us today know. So we don't just pass what we know, but we pass the fruit, joy, love, goodness, kindness. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'm encouraged that we might be today talking to a whole bunch of kingdom laborers and laborers get things done. And every day, Jesus is saying there's plentiful things to get done. Amen. And uh, like Dwight said, there's ample resources. I just wanted to drop a note here real quick. We are having resources now in English, Spanish, French, and coming very soon Swahili, which is the language of East Africa. So God is on the move, and uh, if you just so happen to not speak English or know someone who doesn't speak English but speaks one of those other languages, keep your eyes peeled on Amazon and on the Forge website store for resources that are coming to you in a language that uh, that may be closer to your heart. So anyway, thank you so much uh, for joining this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. We are so thankful for you. If you found this podcast encouraging or helpful, we would love for you to share it if you're willing. And uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day. God bless.